Hi, hello, and welcome to this episode of The Lives and Stars of Old Hollywood. As some of you might have guessed, last week I've covered Humphrey Bogart, so this week I will cover his wife, Lauren Bacall. Lauren Bacall is not only the wife of Humphrey Bogart, but also the 20th greatest female star of classic Hollywood cinema, and also one of the most iconic actresses of Hollywood film noir. Let's start at the beginning. Betty Joan Persky was born on September 16th in 1924 in the Bronx, New York, to Jewish parents of Romanian and Russian origins. Her parents divorced when Betty was only five years old and she would not see her father again. Through her father, though, she was related to Shimon Peres, who was the prime minister and the president of Israel. He was her cousin. Her mother then worked as a secretary and changed both her own last name as well as that of her daughter Betty to Pakal, which is the Romanian version of a main name Weinstein. Betty was able to attend a private school for girls, the Highland Manor Boarding School for Girls in Terrytown, as well as Julia Richmond High School thanks to a wealthy uncle who was providing the means to pay for tuition. When she was 16, she took up acting lessons at the American Academy of Dramatic Art in New York, which led to her stage debut in 1942 as a walk-on. But she also worked as an usher at New York's St. James Theatre and as a fashion model in stores. Her modeling career as a teenage model also got her Harper's Bazaar and Vogue covers. She was discovered for Harper's Bazaar in a club by Nicholas de Gonsberg, who was an editor at Harper's Bazaar, and who then introduced Betty to Diana Vreeland, who adored Betty. And this resulted in a Louise Dahlwolf photo shoot, which resulted in the Harper's Bazaar cover, which in turn caught the attention of Slim Keith, the wife of Hollywood director Howard Hawks. For those that are not only interested in old Hollywood, but also fashion and fashion history, Diana Vreeland was the most important fashion editor and fashion icon of the day, more than I think Anna Wintour could ever be. And she was a really fascinating and riveting character. And Louise Dahl-Wolf was the photographer of the day. So the photo shoot of Betty Bacall with Diana Vreeland and Louise Dahl-Wolf is like epic. And Slim Keith, the wife of Howard Hawks, was not only the wife of Howard Hawks, but she herself was a style icon. So this is not only, oh yeah, this teenage model is landing a photo shoot, but this is being catapulted to the style Olymp instantly. At the time that the Harper's Bazaar cover caught the eye of Slim Keith, Howard Hawks, her husband, was working on To Have and Have Not with Humphrey Bogart, and he was still searching for a female lead. So Slim, his wife, urged him to do a screen test with Betty. Upon seeing her and screen testing her, Hawks immediately signed her to a seven-year contract and took on the role of her manager as well. Her name was changed from Betty to Lauren, and her last name Bacall became a second L. One of the training elements for Bacall was to deepen her voice, as it was naturally high-pitched and nasal, and she had to train for hours daily, which finally resulted in a trademark deep-trawling voice. And another trademark sign that was formed during the screen test and subsequent filming for To Have and Have Not was Bacall's solution for keeping her trembling under control. It was pressing her chin down and looking up. And this was what would become known as the look. Slim, 
the wife of Howard Hawks, took on the role of introducing Betty to fashion, style and manners. In To Have and Have Not, Lauren Bacall is delivering a line which made her absolutely infamous. It was, you don't have to say anything, Steve. You just have to whistle. You know how to whistle. You just put your lips together and blow. So this was so much innuendo that it made her famous. To Have and Have Not made Lauren Bacall an instant star and it influenced culture, fashion and other actresses. One of the next movies Bacall was cast in was The Big Sleep, which made Bacall an icon of film noir. And she would repeatedly play characters like that of Vivian in that movie. And that is mysterious, independent and sultry. Her third and fourth pairing with husband Bogart in Dark Passage and Key Largo cemented her on-screen character. Her first Cinemascope comedy, How to Marry a Millionaire, in 1953, when she was only 29, co-starring Marilyn Monroe and Betty Crable, was a critical and commercial hit. Or as Alton Cook puts it, she takes complete control of every scene with her acid delivery of viciously witty lines. And I have to admit, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I actually started watching it because of Marilyn Monroe, because I am a huge fan of her. But this movie particularly, I have watched it millions of times. And I've watched it in English, French and Italian. Because this is how I learned languages. Just a nice little side fact about your host. <laughs> Bacall appeared in numerous films throughout the 1940s and 1950s. And she was co-starring with, for example, Charles Boyer, Richard Whitmark, Lillian Gish, Rock Hudson and Gregory Peck. In the 1960s, 70s and 80s, Lauren Bacall did not do many Hollywood movies, but focused on Broadway first. The films that Lauren Bacall did do were star-studded ensembles like Sex and the Single Girl, Harper and Murder on the Orient Express, with such illustrious co-stars like Henry Fonda, Natalie Wood, Tony Curtis, Paul Newman, Shelley Winters, Julie Harris, Robert Wagner, Janet Leigh, Ingrid Bergman, Albert Finney, Vanessa Redgrave and Sean Connery. In the 1970s, Laura Bacall made just one movie, and in the 1980s, four. And that was The Fan in 1981, Appointment with Death in 1988, Tree of Hands in 1989, and Dinner at Eight in a television adaptation. It was only in the 1990s that Laura Bacall got more active in the movies again, appearing in Misery, A Star for Two, All I Want for Christmas, Robert Altman's Pret-a-Porter, and The Mirror Has Two Faces. For the latter one, she was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, but it was also the year of the English patient, so she lost to Juliette Binoche. And in the 2000s, Bacall was cast in high-profile projects such as Dogwell, Birth and Walker, and she made a cameo appearance on The Sopranos. Her final movie role was in The Forger, co-starring Josh Hutchinson and Hayden Panettiere. Afterwards, she only did voice work. Honoring her dedication and work, Lauren Bacall received the Catherine Hepburn Medal in 2006, as well as an Honorary Academy Award in 2009. And although I am a huge fan of Lauren Bacall, the actress, her voice, her roles, her acting, I have to admit that her private life is even more interesting than her movies and her acting career. So, fun fact... 
Lauren Bacall dated Kirk Douglas when she attended lessons at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York. She was a young girl who had no idea of men, who had no previous relationships, who had no experience with men whatsoever. Obviously, she is mostly known as being the wife of Hollywood star Humphrey Bogart. As I said in the last episode on Humphrey Bogart, they fell in love during the filming of To Have and Have Not and started an affair some weeks into the shooting, despite Bogart being married to Mayo Method. And Bacall and Bogart married two months after the divorce. If you want to know more about that and haven't done so already, listen to last week's podcast on Humphrey Bogart. So I do not bore those that have. The interesting thing about the Bacall bogart pairing is that they had instant chemistry and true love for each other, although the age difference was gigantic. Lauren Bacall was 20 years of age when they got married and Humphrey Bogart was 25 years her senior. She was hardly experienced, neither as an actress nor as a woman in relationships, and she did not have the chance to make all the experiences one is supposed to make in their 20s. Bogart, on the other hand, had sown his oats and took on the role of the teacher at first, bringing this young starlet into a life of fame and adulthood. And I want to quote Lauren Bacall from a 2006 interview with Parade magazine. I've always wanted a sense of belonging to something, a terrible need for affection, for someone to care about me. Bogey did care about me more than any man I've ever known. He was so sweet and funny and original and very intelligent. He was a whole tremendous world to me. Why wouldn't I have gone crazy over him? Bogey was a real last century guy, a total prude, so old-fashioned you wouldn't believe it. He had enormous character, a sense of honor and truth was essential to him. So this sums up why she fell in love with him and what she loved about him. And it just touched my heart and I wanted to share. Bogart and Bacall had two adorable children. These were Stephen Humphrey Bogart, born in 1949, and Leslie Howard Bogart, born in 1952. Fun side fact, during research I found out that the daughter, Leslie Howard Bogart, later married Eric Schiffman, who you probably do not know, but he is called the inventor of the modern yoga as we practice it in the Western world these days. He was one of the earlier Westerners that sought more information on the practice and brought it back to the West. And he has taught yoga for more than 40 years and published books. So he is famous as well, just in another industry. Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart stayed married until Bogart's death from esophageal cancer in 1957. Bacall stayed with him all the way through, lying next to him and caring for him during his last year. But... That is not the end of Bacall's romantic endeavors and adventures. Because already during her marriage to Bogart, although she truly loved him, Bacall was seriously infatuated and at least emotionally unfaithful to Humphrey Bogart, with none other than Adlai Stevenson. If you think I have no idea who this person is, well, it was the same for me because I'm not American. So, Adlai Stevenson was the Democratic candidate in the presidential campaigns of 1952 and 1956, and he lost both elections to Dwight D. Eisenhower. But how did this infatuation, this emotional unfaithfulness look like? Well, both Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall were rather political, and they had taken sides when the anti-communism activities took place in Hollywood. 
and they both supported the Democratic candidate and accompanied him on California campaign stops. As 20-year-old Bacall was so enthralled by campaigning with Stevenson, she also rejoined him at Madison Square Garden in New York. She got very close to him during this time and rather competitive. She wanted to be by his side and nobody else to be there, which on the one hand was gladly accepted by Stevenson, but on the other hand was met with hostility from his sister Buffy Eves because Stevenson was divorced. And, of course, the American public was hesitant about a divorced president. So, Buffy tried to keep Lauren Bacall at a distance to quiet the rumors. But Buffy did not manage to keep them apart. By the end of the campaign, Bacall was basically in love with Stevenson. And I quote from the biography Bogey and Bacall by William J. Mann. He needed a wife, someone to share his life with. I fantasized that I would be a long-distance partner, a good friend he could feel free to talk with about anything. Until Adlai Stevenson, I was a perfectly happy woman with a husband whom I loved, a beautiful son and daughter, some success in my work, a beautiful home, money, not a care in the world. And when they were going back to L.A., Lauren Bacall notes, I was far away from Bogey, my thoughts on the man I had left behind. So this is some serious infatuation that Bacall was going through. But this was not the end of it. They kept in contact. Bacall was going to all soirees that Stevenson was giving and even crossed the country for a chance to spend an evening with Stevenson. She even accompanied Stevenson to Palm Springs, where she was included in all his activities. Bogey? was on shoot for a movie and her kids were with nursemaids back home. So if anything ever happened between the two, it probably was there, but we don't know. But it was only shortly after the Palm Springs thing that Bacar realized that she was not the only woman he flirted with and caught him with another one. And this ended Bacall's fantasy and she returned home to Bogey and her two wonderful kids. But <laughs> this is not Lauren Bacall's only infatuation. There's also Frank Sinatra, the Rat Pack friend of her late husband Humphrey Bogart. Apparently, this infatuation started when Humphrey Bogart was still alive, but became more prominent after his death. Sinatra was a regular visitor to the Bogart mansion, and the kids knew him well, so he was always there. And as with Stevenson, Bacall started fantasizing that underneath the outer layer that there was a loyal man who needed and wanted a wife, a home, a life. But actually, that was true neither of Stevenson nor Sinatra. And maybe it was also the clamor and the mystery, the bad boy image of Sinatra with his ties to the mob that fascinated Bacall. She wanted to be with him. She wanted to be brought back to life after Bogie's death. And it was no secret. The gossip was everywhere. The two were an item. They were together and went most everywhere together. But whenever there were rumors or magazine headlines bringing up the rumor of marriage, Sinatra would disappear for undefined periods of time and reappear suddenly without any explanation. Apparently, he did not like to be controlled and he resented when Bacall made any plans. And sometimes he did not even acknowledge her presence in a room. He did explain it away with his bad breakup from Hollywood star Eva Gardner and that he was uncomfortable with getting too close to someone again. Still, he treated Bacall really badly. Nevertheless, at one point, Sinatra proposed marriage to Bacall. 
And Bacall was deliriously happy, thought that finally he got to his senses and worked through his feelings. And they called up fellow Red Pack member and friend Swifty Lazar to celebrate the occasion out dining. And they agreed to not tell anyone of the engagement. So far, so good. But while Sinatra was subsequently away performing, Luella Parsons, the gossip queen of Hollywood, got wind of the story and published it in The Examiner. And it was not a note in the gossip column. It was a full-page news spread. And although Luella Parsons is known as spreading gossip, she never made up stories. She always had backing and she had secret sources for all her news. So it is quite possible that Bacall herself had in one way or another told Parsons. The account that Bacall gives, though, is that she was out with Swifty Lazar and he broke the news to Parsons without the knowledge of Bacall. It doesn't actually matter. The fact, though, is that Sinatra got news of all the stories and fumed. He called Bacall, accused her of trying to nail him down and that he wanted to end the engagement. And so he did. He ditched her then and there on the phone. The story Sinatra and his publicists wanted was that Bacall was a man-hungry widow trying to snatch another A-lister. And the story Bacall wants everybody to believe is that she did not do anything wrong. And it was Lazar, actually, that had blown the secret. We do not know. And it doesn't matter. The damage was done. And Bacall was deeply affected by the split up. And she sought solace in Europe and then in New York on the stage. She tried to avoid Hollywood. She tried to avoid Sinatra. And that was in 1958, when Bacall was only 34 years old. To some of you that might sound old, as I'm older than that, that sounds really young. At 34, I hadn't figured out my life yet. And I had many questions. I had made many mistakes. So at that time, Bacall was like, she had one dead husband. She had gone through this bad breakup with Frank Sinatra. She had been left with all this feeling of being a young woman full of energy trying to live life and she's just stopped that in the track so I totally feel for her because she was still so young and actually a mom of two already. So Bacall ran away from Hollywood basically and sought solace in Europe in New York and on Broadway where she met stage actor Jason Roberts in 1961 and married him. The same year their son Sam Roberts was born who would also go on to become an actor. The marriage of Bacall and Roberts was mostly unhappy because of Roberts' alcoholism and his absence from home. As Bacall puts it in an interview, we were a mismatch. And so that's that. After eight years, the marriage was divorced and they parted ways in 1969. But of course, there's not only love relationships, there's also friendships, which are important to life. One of Lauren Bacall's closest friends was Catherine Hepburn. Their friendship lasted more than 50 years. And it's actually Hepburn that advised Bacall to leave Jason Roberts for good. And this was the friendship more important to Bacall than any other. They bonded when Hepburn shot African Queen in the Belgian Congo with Bogart. Because Bacall accompanied the team and the ordeal bonded Hepburn and Bacall and the whole team for life. But Lauren Bacall is not only known as the Queen of Film Noir or the wife of Humphrey Bogart. She's also known as one of the style icons of old Hollywood and particularly that of effortless glamour. 
Because after the clamor of the 1920s, 1930s, she came in and she was not overly sensual and voluptuous and she was not as decorated with fluffs and ruffles. She was more androgynous, with angles, with attitude, with clear lines. Style-wise, she was refined and elegant, advocated for clean lines and sharp elegance. She would wear tailored suits, high-waisted trousers, turtlenecks, and often bold, glossy red lipstick. So the way she portrayed the femme fatale in film noir is still the way we depict her in modern movies. And this is the style that Lauren Bacall set. So the focus was on the lines, the cuts, and on the face. The look that made Lauren Bacall so very famous. So her legacy is going to live on for long, for like ever. But as always, I have some learnings from her life. And the first one when I researched her came to my mind is was, when you're young, you have to try things. You have to have the liberty of failing and of having strong emotions, of infatuations, of being completely in for something. And that's even something which is hormonally something we're prone to do. It is all emotion, it is all feeling, and it's all our hormones. And you have to have the liberty to do so. I guess all the gossip surrounding Lauren Bacall with her infatuation with Adlai Stevenson and with Frank Sinatra. She was just a young woman with lots of hormones and she just wanted to experience life. The second most important lesson that I learned from the life of Lauren Bacall is don't expect anyone to make you happy because nobody can bring you happiness but yourself. No man can make you happy if you're a woman or, you know, men are the ones you're seeking. No man can bring you back to life. No man can bring more life into your life. You are the one responsible for your life, how you live it and how happy you are in it. Don't expect any other person to do the work. You have to do it. And the third lesson is emphasize and love who you are. Bring your original to shine. Lauren Bacall is definitely not like the women that had dominated old Hollywood beforehand. She's no Mary Pickford. She's no Joan Crawford. She is no Mae West. She's none of those. She's Lauren Bacall. She set a style for herself. And she had her own way of portraying things, of doing things, of acting, of being. And the world will never love the copy as much as the original. So never try to imitate anyone. You can see what fits you. You can try on different attitudes, clothes, facial expressions, words, whatever. Try it on. See what fits you and what makes your originality and your being shine. But don't try to be someone else. And don't feel bad if someone doesn't like you the way you are or the way you want to be liked or loved because those people are simply not a match for you. There are so many people in the world, not everybody can love you, but you can do the best at being you, being yourself and just make the most of what God, nature, the universe source has given you. And yes, this is the kind of lesson that I think Betty Bacall or Lauren Bacall has given us. So, I found that very interesting because I didn't know about the Adley Stevenson thing. So I would be curious to know who of you did know that. I am very excited for next week's episode and I can't wait to talk to you then. Have a wonderful week and just stay true to who you are. 
Bye.